Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing The Lords of Salem from 2012, directed and written by Rob Zombie, starring Sherry Moon Zombie, Meg Foster, Jeff Daniel Phillips, and Bruce Davison. And in this film, a Heidi, a radio DJ in Salem, Massachusetts, is sent a mysterious record that's droning melody is either sending her into a psychological breakdown or slowly revealing her own fate, as well as the fate of Salem itself. Ashwin, we continue our journey through Rob Zombie's filmography with this one. Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize uh, this was a journey we were willingly going to take. I-, I thought that year we saw like two or three of his films was was uh, an accident, and and we'd forget about this guy. But, uh, yeah. I think I've kind of been pushing us along this train. I don't really know why. I think we just accidentally kind of started doing his movies in order, and then we I felt like we had to keep going. <laughs> keep going, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're this is like the fourth film of his that we're reviewing, is that right? Fifth, right? Because we did, uh, let's see, we started with House of a Thousand Corpses, then The Devil's Rejects, then Halloween, then Halloween 2 on Patreon. Oh, yeah, this would be fun, right? Here we are at this one, fifth one, and then we'll have 31 from 2016, and then 3 from Hell from 2019. And we'll probably skip, he's got an animated one called The Haunted World of El Super Bisto. Okay, got it. I don't think that's a horror movie, so we'll probably skip by that one. Yeah, okay, cool, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, nice to finally be revisiting him, and it it is cool that we're going in chronological order. I I don't think there are any other directors who are doing that for, are there? No, certainly not, and he's now the director we've covered the most on the show. Oh my god, that's so sad. <laughs> it is weird. Uh, we should. I feel like 2022 goals for me, cover some more older stuff and get more stuff from big name directors in the mix. Sure. When you, when you think about the horror genre and like if there was a director you were going to track their whole filmography for, where does Rob Zombie fall on that list? I, I'd imagine kind of lower. But hmm. what, what do you think? Does he have like a, do you, do you think he's like a pretty big like reputable name in this genre yeah i mean he's kind of polarizing but yeah i think he's made his mark i i think he's not like top five you'd think of but he's in the conversation he's i think part of it is because he's so exclusively horror and his filmography is like fairly contained too it's not like an endless amount of movies like you can you can go through that whole thing pretty quickly yeah yeah Right, right. You can knock it out pretty fast, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fun because we've noticed kind of like a few Rob Zombie trademarks, and uh, we've just seen, you could see how he evolves and what pieces he uses over and over again, like the inclusion of his wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, for example. (laughs) Yeah. Are you, like at this point, are you a a fan of his? I am not, like, I'm so like middle of the road on him. You... You would expect you'd either be like for zombie or against him, but I know I'm kind of just so so. Wow, the five films in and you're still like kind of is still making a decision on him or like. I guess I overall like him, but he makes yeah. he makes some weird choices along the way. Sure. Okay. How are you feeling about him? Uh, not a fan, and I, I think I come in with like two prejudices against him. Okay. Uh, the first, uh, I'm always wary of people who start in one industry and like get famous and then like hop to another, uh, because I, I think you're kind of um, in a cloud, uh, or like you know you're not coming up against the same obstacles other filmmakers might be because you already have a brand and fame and you might not know like if what you're doing is great because people are obviously gonna already buy into it because you have fans from another thing. So I, I feel like there are very few examples of people who've done that successfully. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing, like always having his wife in the film, uh, interesting choice. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that just, uh, is, is like a, a bias of his. Cause you know, he's not out there like kind of casting that role based on, uh, auditions or something. He's already going in with like, oh yeah, I'm going to give this role to my wife who I think is obviously like the best person for this role. Are, are you a fan of Sherry Moon? I... And gosh, I'm like middle of the road on her as well. Like, I don't think she's as horrible of an actress as some people say she is. Yeah. But she's not the strongest actress in the world, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's weird. It is weird that he keeps choosing her. I mean, I guess that's his prerogative. He can do what he wants. But sometimes it's kind of hard to get behind a character because it's like, oh, that that's Sherry Moon Zombie again in like, <laughs> Rob Zombie movie. It almost takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does, right? It's Yeah, she kind of becomes like this constant character in his movies, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, Baby, the the character of Baby from House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects is pretty iconic, Mm -hmm. but I think I learned to appreciate her even more as Michael Myers' mother in Halloween. I thought she was actually pretty good in that role. Yeah, I I did too, actually. I I look back on that role fondly. And uh, we do see Sherry Moon's moon in every film so far. Um, you know, I wish I had listened to our podcast on Zombie to, as a re-refresher, uh, but I'm pretty sure there was at least one movie where the butt did not appear. I think it was Halloween 2. Uh-huh. One of the Halloween movies lacks Sherry Moon's butt. Damn. <laughs> but uh, everyone will be happy to know that The Lords of Salem does not disappoint, and it does include Sherry Moon's butt. <laughs> Like right away, <laughs> right off the bat, and then later yeah. on, it's like this weird moment where she's passed out on the couch in just her underwear and her un- <laughs> underwear like halfway off her butt. Yeah, that was so like weird. I'm like, come on, <laughs> who's really like going that? out of your way? Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he talks about how uh, with Halloween he was frustrated because he didn't have like the uh, creative freedom. I wonder if like that's like his revenge. Like in this film, he like went out of his way to like the first thing you're gonna see is like her butt. Like was was that like the pain he felt when he was shooting Halloween? Is like they wouldn't let him show her butt as much as he wanted to. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting theory that Sherry Moon's butt is a proxy for his creative spirit. It represents his creative freedom. <laughs> I think so. I think I think we hit it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I appreciate this guy finally. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, I mean he even directed an episode of CSI Miami, and she guest starred in it. Oh man, really? That's, wow. Yeah kind of um and he uh speaking of creative freedom that was a big draw for him with this movie um i did not realize this was a blumhouse film oh sure um but he had complete creative freedom he said that blumhouse never gave him one note the whole time and that's in sharp contrast to his experience on halloween and halloween 2 where the weinsteins were just like breathing down his neck um it sounds Mm -hmm. like he really had a miserable experience on those movies yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I don't um, know if the shoot for this one went that much better. It sounded like it was kind of a tight, tight timeline, and things didn't go as planned. But right, um, at least he did have creative freedom, but I think there were still some difficulties along the way. Yeah, on on the Blumhouse thing, um, I saw there was actually an, another studio associated too, right? Like the Haunted uh, House or something. Or, uh, what was the name of the other studio involved here? Haunted Movies and I Am Global co-produced okay. it, and Haunted Movies is a division of Blumhouse. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, because I'd click on Haunted uh, Movies, but it would take you to Blumhouse. So interesting. And yeah. so, so was this uh, Blumhouse's third film then, after like Insidious and uh, The Bay? Um, maybe. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Was it? it? It said that about the other that like the Haunted House Studios, so I, I, I see, or the Haunted Movies uh, Studios. So I assume if that's a division of um, Blumhouse, oh, yeah, maybe maybe there's, there's something there where um, it was definitely the third film for haunted movies. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean this yeah. was this was early on in, in Bloom's Blumhouse's life cycle. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, that was kind of a surprise to see in the credits. Um, yeah. And yeah, speaking of him casting Sherry Moon in every movie, he he's got some regulars he likes to come back to repeatedly. Um, so Ken Foray was in this, or I'm sorry, I think he pronounces it Ken Foray, actually. Foray? Um, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Who was Peter from Dawn of the Dead. He was also in The Devil's Rejects. Um, D. Wallace was in it, who people would recognize from E.T., Critters, The Howling, The Hills Have Eyes, etc. Um, and she was in, she had minor roles in a couple of his other movies, too. I think Halloween, Devil's Rejects, she, she played minor roles. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and then there were scenes, I think most of these scenes were cut, but in the credits were Michael Berryman, the the dude from uh, Pluto from The Hills Have Eyes, mm-hmm. Barbara Crampton, Sid Haig, Clint Howard, and Udo Kier, but I think they almost all were cut. Berryman and Haig were in a scene that was completely cut, and mm-hmm. Udo Kier and Clint Howard's scenes, it sounds like they were in a film within the film, like a, a movie that the character of Francis was watching, and that was cut. Um, okay. So yeah. Yeah. I never saw Barbara Crampton either, but there were a lot of freaky horror imagery moments that who's to say what you were even seeing in those moments. So some of those actors could have been in those. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I was really surprised to see uh, Sid Higgs name, but uh, that, that makes sense if it was cut because I definitely don't remember seeing him. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was completely cut. 
Sure. Uh, Patricia Quinn, did you, you mention her? I did not pr- mention her. Oh, she's from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so actually some like uh, pretty decent names in the horror community, at least. For sure, yeah. He He's definitely done that all, all along with his filmography. He sought out people, even like people whose names aren't household names, but that he knows well because he's obsessed with like monster movies from... He really likes older movies, so... yeah. There's a lot of older actors who may not be like household names to us, but that he loves and seeks them out and sees if they'll be in his movie. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I think as a director, I'm just reading his background. Uh, like as a kid, I think he, he watched a lot of horror films, and that's why he picked uh, his name. Uh, so yeah, it seems seems like he'd be a fan of like 70s, 80s, 60s horror films. Yeah, yeah, and he was a big like monster movies guy too. So I think he likes even like way back back to Universal monsters and stuff like that. Oh yeah, is he's uh, directing the monsters, right? He is, yeah. Is that part of that? The franchise? monsters was a TV series in the '60s. Okay, um, but yeah, nothing. he loved it. I was watching. Yeah. <laughs> there's a YouTube video that's like MTV Cribs with Rob Zombie. So I don't know when that took place. I would guess at least like 15 years ago. And he was talking about what a big fan of the monsters he was. So oh, it's okay, cool to okay. see he's he's doing that because he he really does love it. Okay. Um, yeah, Monsters and Adam's Family, I think, were on TV at the same time. They were kind of like rival creepy families. Ah, okay, okay. I don't really remember the Monsters very well. Remember yeah, Adam's I don't family. either. I was an, an Adam's Family guy. Yeah, right. Uh, but on Rotten Tomatoes, this has 46 critics, 30 from viewers. Uh, the budget's $1.5 and the box office was $1.5 So not really a successful film. He did say that... Uh, it was more appealing to Europeans, and it got him put on the map there. Mm-hmm. But U.S. audiences were not huge fans. And it's a bit of a departure from his other stuff, so I think even zombie fans were maybe like, yeah, Yeah, yeah. So This is, I, I mean, like, this was, I think, his worst performing film so far. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. Everything he'd done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot about, oh, the music was done by John Five, um, who was the guitarist for Rob Zombie. He also scored 31. Uh, it's also so this was done by John Five and Griffin Boyce. Um mm-hmm. and Boyce has worked with Rob Zombie and John Five on their respective albums. So again, oh, okay. sticking with people he's worked with in the past. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh didn't he do his own music for a while, like for uh House of a Thousand Corpses or wait, I, I feel like I remember him being uh part of that, like the soundtrack. I think you're right, but I don't remember for sure either. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was surprised uh, to hear him. I, 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 like, yeah, watching this, I assumed he was doing the music, so I was surprised to see someone else on there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he had any involvement, but, you know, John Five worked with him in the past as a guitarist, so it's, it probably sounds a little bit like his style. Got it. Yep. Uh, I got a couple other things that aren't super interesting. Wayne Toft did the makeup effects. He's worked with Zombie on all of his live-action films. Uh, mm-hmm. Brandon Tross was the DP who worked with Zombie on Halloween 2. You got anything else, or should I hit the Ohio connection? Uh, Oren Pelly, uh, we talked about him. He did Paranormal Activity. He was one of the producers. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Think very true. I was all surprised to see his name because he's like one of those. I, I feel like he's you don't see his name too often, right? That's true. Yeah, I was a little surprised to see him too. I think he was kind of in there on the ground floor with with Blumhouse in one capacity or another. Even though I don't think he's technically a part of Blumhouse. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I guess uh, Rob Zombie after this movie made a book of it, which is supposed to be also kind of uh, yeah. I mean, it's like kind of a mixed reviews, but something something you might read someday. No, probably never. <laughs> but I, I'm curious about it because it goes into more detail, and I think yeah. the story had more detail in it that kind of didn't end up in the final cut of the movie. So I'd like to expand the world a little bit on this, but not enough to yeah. go read that book. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel I feel the same way. I feel like uh, the, I, I know the editing was a little bit rushed on this one, so I, I do wonder if the book would have like more details on uh, some of these that that might make it a better full story. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And I, I think we've like alluded to production challenges, but he, I think he just hit up against a wall with the time where he's just like, we don't have time to shoot all the stuff I want to shoot, so I got to pick right. what's not going to be in the movie. Right, right. So. And I, I think he was also like going on tour at the same time, so I, it sounds like he was kind of tr- trying to balance both things, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, I think he had a tour like immediately after filming, so I think that hurt the uh, the post-production periods, so, yeah. Right, right. Things were rushed. Yep. 
Uh, our Ohio connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant. And Alex says, The Lords of Salem is a supernatural horror film written, produced, and directed by Rob Zombie about a troubled female disc jockey in Salem, Massachusetts, whose life becomes entangled with a covenant of ancient Satan-worshipping women. The film stars Sherry Moon Zombie, Bruce Davison, Jeff Daniel Phillips, and longtime character actor Daniel Roebuck in an uncredited role as Frankenmonster. Roebuck's most memorable role is that of Deputy Marshall Biggs in The Fugitive. He also played Jay Leno in the critically acclaimed HBO film The Late Shift and has collaborated with Rob Zombie on The Devil's Rejects, Halloween, and Halloween 2, among others. He reprised his role as Deputy Biggs in U.S. Marshals, a spin-off film of The Fugitive, this time following an escaped convict who survives a plane crash and goes on the run to protect his innocence. The plane crashes in southern Illinois, but the wetland area where it washes up is on the banks of the Ohio River. <laughs> Wait, how does a plane crash in southern Illinois but end up in Ohio? Oh, man, you like to expose our weaknesses and knowledges. I have no idea how far the Ohio <laughs> River goes. It may very well go all the way to Illinois, right? Oh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it, who's to stop it from going to Illinois? Who's it? <laughs> and who's to say? Who, who would know? I know. Uh, I, yeah, I think it makes up the southern border of Indiana, too, and possibly the southern border of the state of Illinois. Oh, okay. I'll buy that. And then Because it, it intersects with the Mississippi. and Yeah. Okay. Sounds right. Whew, that's, a bead that's, of sweat is dripping down my forehead. Are you ready to uh, spoil the plot and uh, and go through this and review it? Sure, let's do it. Nice, nice job, Alex. Good connection there. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, if you're new to the show and you haven't seen this movie, you got to duck out because we're going to spoil everything. But before we do that, Ashwin, do you mind holding on for one second? My wife, I think, is playing some music upstairs. I'm going to go ask her to turn it down. Ah, okay. Sounds good. All right, I'll be right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, everything okay? For the most part, uh, she turned it down, but as soon as I got up there and heard the music more clearly, I, I peed right in my pants. <laughs> Are you sure it had something to do with the music? <laughs> nothing else? <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. Nothing else. It was totally music. Definitely not this beer I was nervously sipping as we talked about geography. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I hate when music does that to you. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Stuff. Um, quick thing before we move on. I've tried to I tried to discuss this once in the Discord, and I feel like I was frowned upon. So th- I hope this isn't sexist, but when I say it, I'm trying to just reflect on what may be inherent sexism in society and in film. But I swear, nearly every time we see a woman pee her pants in a movie, it's to signify that she has lost control and is possibly now something to be afraid of. And if a man does it, it means he's a coward or he's scared. Huh. So I feel like a woman peeing her pants is something to be afraid of, and a man peeing his pants is because he is afraid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think back to all the urinating moments I can remember. Yeah, like think, think back yeah. to all those pees. <laughs> that, uh, that's, uh, that's a really interesting observation. Uh, interesting how peeing your pants can have such a role based on the gender. That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Food for thought. Or if you think I'm, I'm a jerk for even saying that... I, let me know. But, you know, Linda Blair from The Exorcist, that one ghoul in It Follows being in her pants. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other examples, but well, I can't you know, think after of them this, off the top of my head. After this podcast, we're just going to Google uh, clips of video, uh, women peeing themselves in their pants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <so> that, <laughs> that'll look great in your history. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is about to get weird. Uh, okay, well, we open this movie with some so- shots of Sherry Moon Zombie looking distraught in a car, and then we transition to the 1500s, where a man named Jonathan Hawthorne is talking about Margaret Morgan and her coven of six, who are in the woods blaspheming and playing the devil's music, and he swears to kill anyone who worships Satan, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. We see these witches doing witchy stuff around a fire, they curse Jesus and the Bible and whatnot, they take off their clothes and do some dancing, and then we get the title screen. Um, what were your thoughts on this intro to the movie, Ash? 
You know, one thing I liked here is I, I feel like we've seen movies that show a group of women around a fire, like performing these kind of uh, um, pagan type things. But I, I like the energy of it. Like, I don't think we've ever seen a movie where they like go so wild because they're praying for a little bit and then they just kind of like break out into like this all out, you know, like wild festival kind of thing. Uh, so I, I like the energy there. I don't understand why we started out with uh, a, an image of Sherry Moon. But uh, other than that, I, I thought it was cool. What, what did you think? I agree. There was really no reason for that image of Sherry Moon there. Yeah, um, that I can think of. But yeah, I like your review of. It. I can see you like stumbling upon that scene in the woods and just kind of like taking it in for a moment and then being like, "I like the energy." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys are doing really away. good. Keep it up. Yeah, but this is the, great, guys. Yeah, uh, you're. Yeah, they were. They were into it. They were into yeah, it. I can appreciate yeah. that. Hey, did they look a little funny to you? Um, in what way? Um, like I, I know they were naked, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that was unusual. <laughs> yeah. But, but for naked, uh, like were they, um, was it like normal naked or like that? Was there like something happening? Uh, cause I, I mean, were there like effects going on here or, or anything? Or were they made up in a funny way? <laughs> Every, we like paused for me to give you the b- birds and the bees discussion. <laughs> no. Is that what it's supposed to look like? <laughs> Women look different from men when they're naked. Um, well, I mean, they were older women. <laughs> so things may have looked different. Um, I think they were, they were like, like really, maybe kind of dirty and stuff, too. Yeah, were they like really like grayed out or something? It, huh. I mean, the scene itself was grainy. Oh, okay. I don't okay. know. Go back. Go back and watch it after you do your your urine googling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought like something uh, w- was done there because uh, some parts didn't look exactly right. But I'll, I'll go back and check it out again. Interesting. All right. Um, you know, when they show that clip of Sherry Moon in the car, there's talk on the radio. It's like a talk radio she's listening to, and something about how a lack of affection and sensory pleasure can translate to violence later on in life. Oh, right. And I was kind of expecting that to have a theme throughout the film, but I'm not sure if I can weave that thread through. Because we then hear it played again, like similar discussion on that topic in Francis's apartment. Him and his wife have the radio on like halfway oh. through the film. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what? is this just random? I don't know. Yeah, that is a really interesting uh, quote. And yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that ties to this story. Yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, well... Um, oh yeah, no, sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead. You got you got a thing. Uh, what? Well, yeah, I, I know. Later, like uh, there was a conversation around like the the thing between your legs and like uh, the pleasure or, or something. So I, I wonder if they're trying to tie like that uh, to like the violence that comes later in the film or something. But it's it's loose. Interesting. Okay. Um, we open after this after the credits. Um, or the title screen, rather, we open on the story taking place in the present with uh, the obligatory shot of Sherry Moon's butt, and her character, Heidi, is in her apartment. Uh, She pops out the door for some mail or something like that, and she sees someone down the hall in apartment five, but according to the landlord, nobody is in that apartment. Uh, We then later learn she's a bit of a shock rock DJ who enjoys hard rock and metal music, and she hosts a radio show with two other guys, one of which is played by Ken Forey. She gets a record sent directly to her at the station from a band called The Lords, and she plays it on the radio, and it's a very odd droning sound that seems to really bother her, her specifically. The other uh, co-hosts, the dudes, don't seem to be bothered by it. Oh, uh, when she plays it at home, right? I, I think, think she... F- did she play it at home later? I could. I thought in this I think scene the first she time- played it at the station as well, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, that comes later. I think the first time she listens to it is back at her place, uh, and the guy tries to put it on, but the needle won't uh, settle on the track or on the oh, record. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then she has to do it. But then, yeah, All you're right. right. She's got that like migraine or something. Okay, that was something I missed. Okay, good catch. Um, and she seems to have visions of these of the witches from the 1500s um, when she hears the music, and we see a lot of shots of one of the witches spitting in a baby's face repeatedly. <laughs> Did that seem excessive to you? <laughs> no, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> There's just like utter disappointment or something with that baby. Yeah, yeah. She was pretty disappointed in the baby. I think maybe by the end of the movie we figure out why. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> if we ever record in person and, and I'm disappointed in something you say, I'll just spit in your face <laughs> repeatedly. I'll understand. Right <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also see a witch standing in Heidi's bathroom. Um, it's only visible to us, the viewer, and, and Heidi doesn't see it. Is it um, because she can't see it or like she doesn't look? I, I, I couldn't tell. I, yeah, I mean, she doesn't look that way, so maybe she would have seen it had she looked, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but something's like definitely like uh, haunting her, right? Yeah, something's going on. Yep. I thought that music was pretty cool, kind of pretty disturbing. What did you think of that? Yeah, yeah, I thought uh, music throughout. Uh, yeah, and, and like when, when these uh, figures pop up are pre- pretty disturbing music. Yeah, I mean, like the the score throughout is pretty good and disturbing, but then the specific music on the record she plays is, oh. is pretty disturbing too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's simplistic, but like I think the instruments used make it sound like super cool and like archaic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a series of three notes or something. Yeah. Um, the next day, so also we get title screens, inner titles throughout the the way, telling us what day of the week it is. So Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidi and her co-hosts interview a guy who has written a book on Salem's history and the history of witchcraft through the past and up until the present. And they play the song there at the station in, in this moment. And we see shots of women around Salem hearing this music on the radio and seemingly losing focus on what they're doing, lose control of themselves. We get the shot of one of them urinating. Uh, the guy that they're interviewing seems very curious about the music, but again, Heidi's the only one who seems truly bothered by it. Mm. Um, did you think it was awkward this that they chose to have this moment where this guy, Francis, is like fawning over Cher- Heidi's chest <laughs> tattoo and like there's just really awkward moment where he's like into it and they're like, hey, whoa. Yeah, that was really weird. Uh, it's, it seemed out of place. Uh, not really in line with that guy's character. Uh, yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell what was going on there. That was weird. I, I feel like sometimes Rob Zombie gets an idea in his head, and if he wants to do it, he just does it, and he doesn't think about whether or not it serves <laughs> the story as a whole. 100%, yeah. Right. I, 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 for any, you know, I've liked some of his movies. I've really liked some of his movies. I don't think I've given any of his movies a negative score yet, but... I don't think he's a very good storyteller. Yeah, I I think he's missing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I don't think like uh, in other movies where like uh, everything kind of adds up, where like you see something that ties to something later. I don't think he has like that level of uh, thoughtfulness in, in his storytelling. Yeah, he's he's a bit random. Yeah. Um. So after this interview, Heidi heads home, and her landlord sees her come in and invites her to have a drink with some friends of hers. So she's with these three older women, one of them played by Dee Wallace. Um, The other one was by the actress you named from Rocky Horror, whose name I can't remember. Um, And they're a bit strange. One of them makes her feel awkward by drunkenly trying to, like, read her poem and telling her she's doomed or something. Um, She calls it a night and heads upstairs and enters that vacant room down the hall the door is open and she sees a glowing red cross on the wall in there and she has a vision where she sees the witch margaret morgan speaking to her and margaret says things like you're going to bleed us a king and you are the blade by which the daughters of salem will bleed uh and we see another witch standing on heidi's kitchen counter again heidi doesn't see it but we do um yeah so yeah i really liked I, I like the the imagery here with, with like the red cross and like kind of uh, the image of her like across from it and then um, like what she visions with like the fire and, and uh, kind of like an ape-like looking devil or something. What, what did you think of all that? I like that too. I do really like all the visuals in this movie, even though later on they're kind of thrown at you pretty randomly. Yeah. Uh, I think the visuals are cool and I also think the set design and production design is really cool. Like every time right. she walks into that room, it looks really good. Um, there's some cool shots of the hallway too, just to build up suspense, like showing mm-hmm. us room five. Right. So I th- yeah. think the cinematography and the, and the design and the design of her apartment too, like her, her bed, like all black and white in her bedroom and her, she's got these two end tables that light up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really cool. It is. And like the artwork on her bedroom walls is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the one thing, uh, that, that, uh, might not be so aesthetically pleasing. Wait, what did you think about her dreads? Yeah, I don't like. I don't like the dreads. 
the dreads. <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> yeah. Was it, I, yeah. Yeah. Was, was that like purposely bad or like did people think like they were in at the time or something? I mean, people still grow dreads. Uh, White people. <laughs> yeah. Specifically. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just looks so bad. It was hard to focus on like other stuff. Yeah. Uh, you didn't struggle with that? Um... No, not so much. I mean, I used to live in Asheville, so I'd see a white person with some <laughs> nasty dreads pretty constantly. Ah, I didn't realize that was still a thing. Damn. <laughs> All right. Yeah, still a thing. Um, so let's see. The next day, Wednesday, she's kind of freaking out. Things are escalating. Uh, she ends up going to church. She wanders into a church, and the priest like comes and is like, hey, you need anything? You okay? And she has this weird dream slash vision that the priest is forcing her to give him a blowjob. Um, again, this goes nowhere. I don't really see the point of it. I don't either. I mean, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird that he even bothered putting it in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, super bizarre. And and I feel like with each of these, like she's having like these dream sequences, and they each like end with her just like kind of waking up, like almost like the same way each time. Uh, yeah, like I had a, a little bit of PTSD. I won't spoil one of his prior movies, but there's an extended scene in a prior movie of his that you think is real and turns out to be a dream and it feels cheap. Yeah, right. So I kind of feel like anytime he does a dream sequence, I'm a little harsher. I I hate in general how often a horror movie uses a dream to make you think it's real. Same. Um, But even the best, most refined horror movies do it, but um, I'm a little less forgiving when Rob Zombie does it. He does it two or three times within this movie, too. Yeah, I know. I think he did it, like, yeah, way too many times. Yeah. Right. Um, So she starts crying in a bathroom. She's really starting to melt down. Um, But how do you feel about her as a character, Ash? Uh, I hate her. I can't tell how much of it is because of the hairstyle. That that really uh, bothered me. But then also from a character perspective... Uh, what do we know about her? Like, we know she's uh, a drug addict, right? Like, we get, like, one scene where... Well, well, I guess she's, like, a recovering drug addict, right? Yeah. Um, and then, like, we see kind of, like, a little bit of her relationship with her coworkers, which is a little bit endearing, and, like, how she interacts with, like, the landlady. So, um, yeah, I guess she seems like a nice enough person, but, uh, yeah, I kind of stopped with the hairstyle, though, uh, so that kind of made me hate her. So I, I, I'm not the, the best judge here. What, what did you think? I kind of... Um, I... I'm not wild about... I don't dislike her as a character, but I just, like you said, we don't know that much about her, and she's not a very active character. She's just kind yeah. of... She doesn't even really react too strongly to things. She's just kind of seeing these visions, and sometimes she's often just got a blank look at her face like she's in a trance. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So it's hard to like emotionally follow her journey from... like just being a normal everyday person at the start of this movie to now like crying in a bathroom. Like yeah. this isn't a journey I was on with her. I'm just like <laughs> things are happening to her and she's just along for the ride. Yeah. There wasn't like a huge range where like, she's like a really vibrant person in the beginning. And then now like all these dreams are happening. She's going to this like catatonic state. It's kind of like, she's always been at this one level of like, uh, yeah, not very active or like not a lot of like long dialogue pieces or like revealing character uh, identity kind of stuff and, and uh, it just kind of stays there yeah agreed um, and the next day she has yet another vision slash dream in her apartment she sees the eyes on a painting start to bleed uh, there's a, another dream sequence she wakes up from yeah. um, but the big plot point that takes place on this Thursday on this day which is Thursday is that she buys drugs so she's back back into the habit um Mm-hmm. And then the next day, we spent some time with the character Francis, who they interviewed on the show, who wrote the book on witchcraft. He's digging into Heidi and the mystery of this music he's so curious about. And we find out through his Googling that Heidi is the descendant of Jonathan Hawthorne, um, the guy who was writing in his journal at the very beginning of the movie, who was, you know, hating on the witches. Did you see yeah. that one coming? Kind of. I, I feel like uh, at some point I saw like her name was Heidi Hawthorne or Hawthorne. Uh, I, f- I forget how. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I paused. I was watching it on Amazon because it was streaming on Prime, and I paused the the movie for a second. Yeah. And then some of that X-ray pops up on the screen, the X-ray oh. stuff, and it yeah. said Heidi Hawthorne. So I yeah. kind of had that spoiled for me. Yeah, I think that's where I saw it too. Was that supposed to be like a huge twist or something? 
I mean, I think even if I wasn't surprised, it wouldn't have like blown my mind. Yeah, I know. Because he's the, just the, like the, one guy we saw making a journal entry earlier earlier in the movie. Yeah, for like a minute, right? Like at the most, like you didn't really see him. You just kind of like heard him talking over the intro, basically. Yeah. So it's it's not like you, they set up this character in the beginning and now we're finding out like this person's side to I mean, like that, that he was barely a character in this. Yeah. So I mean, it's a reveal, but it's not like. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, uh, I, I I loved how this guy finds out uh, the Hawthorne, but then like he still has to like kind of look it up to make sure they're related. He, he Google. He's like the fastest Googler in the world. And finds her entire family tree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that Hawthorne. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah is that a thing you can do can you find someone's family tree no no oh, you can okay. barely find your own family tree without paying a whole lot of money yeah yeah that's what I thought damn um, perhaps the bigger reveal on this day is that we find out that the landlord and her two friends are witches I guess you probably could have seen that one coming um, they push Heidi down the hall in this rolling chair with this weird makeup on that we see on the cover of the movie into apartment five um and this unveils like a giant throne room situation, and there's all sorts of horror imagery in the mix here. And we see a giant baby monster appear and pull Heidi towards it with some sort of umbilical rope. Mm. Um, any other chaotic imagery I'm missing in this scene? No, I think you nailed it. Like the the baby demon, that was yeah interesting. Yep. Um, so yeah, by the next day, Heidi is basically like in the uh, possess like. The other witches like basically own her. They're like in her room with her and like watching over her. Um, yeah, she's Francis pretty out is, of it, right? Yeah, and she's pretty out of it. Francis is still researching and realizes that the music on that record Heidi was delivered is the same notes that were written in Jonathan Hawthorne's journal, uh, music that was supposedly used to possess the women of Salem back then. And Francis goes to Heidi's place to tell her about this and tell her what he knows. And he's murdered by the landlord and the her group of three witches. And the conclusion of the film takes place at a concert hall where the lords are playing a show, and the only people in attendance are Heidi and a few random women. The three witches uh, take the stage and summon the old coven from back in the 1500s or whatever that we saw in the film's intro. And Mary Margaret appears, saying some, like, vile <laughs> shit to the crowd. Uh... <laughs> The coven plays this weird music, and the women in the crowd get up, take off their clothes, and start shambling about, and this kicks off um, another display of random horror imagery, which includes some decayed faceless entities uh, on thrones masturbating their bright red boners, (laughs) Uh, among other creepy visions, uh, that it seems only Heidi sees, maybe the whole, every woman there sees it, but... Heidi is definitely going through this and seeing it all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even some straight-up animation in, in this scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it all culminates in Heidi giving birth to some weird tentacled monster. The last shot of the sequence is Heidi standing atop a throne of women's naked bodies who are now dead. And we cut from this shot to the last shot of the film, which is Heidi playing with her dog in the park in slow motion with some touching music in the background. Um, And then during the credits, we hear a voiceover of a news report about the incident that took place at the concert hall. It's reported as a mass suicide by a bunch of women who were descendants, all descendants of the original village of Salem. Uh, And Heidi herself is reported missing. So basically what went down is there was this spell... That, and this music like casts a spell only on women who are descendants of the women of Salem from back in that time. And that's why it was only bothering Heidi and not the dudes. And uh, it basically, they killed all the women for some reason in service of Heidi birthing Satan's baby, I guess. And Satan's baby is like this, uh, like this sea creature type thing? Yeah, like this crayfish looking type thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. Why did you think that last shot of her playing with her dog was in there? Was that a flashback of how Heidi was once happy, or did she survive and go on to have a happy life after giving birth to Satan's baby? Uh, I'm pretty no. Yeah, there's there's no way that was like her, uh, like that she's off somewhere being happy with a dog, right? She's 
She's definitely, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, 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 don't, I can't imagine where she is, but I don't know. I, I think that was just kind of like a, a before and after kind of thing where like, oh, you just saw her like on top of all these dead bodies and like, I assume like in some state of being dead, but hey, remember she used to love her dog a lot. Uh, so yeah, I think her last ditch attempt to make you identify yeah. with the character. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like it didn't work. Not for me, no. I, I think the characterization of Heidi was a really weak spot in this movie. Yeah, as a Perhaps main character. Perhaps weakest spot. And and I think yeah. the zombie's biggest weakness, right? The, the strongest characters he's ever created are villains. Right, right. And in this one, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like, uh, she, she, she was barely a character in this. I feel like it was just things happening to her and her kind of like going through the movie like on snooze or something because it was rough. Yes, yeah. I feel like the image of her being pushed in a chair, lifeless by these three witches, really sums up her entire character arc. Like, yeah, she's a non-active <laughs> like, character that things just happen to. She's along for the ride. Like, other exactly. people have opinions about her. She doesn't really have many opinions herself. Like, all yeah. we know about her, like you said, drugs in her past, she's a DJ. Right, exactly. Um, the only thing new revealed about her is her bloodline, which isn't right. really saying much about who she is and the kind of person she is now. Exactly. There's also this really unearned moment where she's on the phone with her fellow DJ who like seems to kind of like her, and she hangs up and the witches are there by her side, and one of them's like, you love him, don't you? And it just like feels <laughs> totally unearned. We've had like five minutes of screen time with the two these two people together. Like, Yeah. It's just, yeah. It, it I, was I struggled... Yeah, I struggled with that because, like, in in some way, it's like showing, um, you know, maybe she was like pretty distant as a person, even being alive before she was possessed. And like, uh, I sensed some chemistry between them early on when uh, he came to her apartment, and uh, so so maybe they were playing it like kind of under, uh, it, it was kind of like understated, and like this was like kind of a normal conversation potentially between someone who's not like willing to like be open about like their feelings. Um, and just kind of have like a you know like a very like casual conversation with someone, but I, I don't think it was that smart. So yeah. and, and it was kind of out of place too. Yeah, and yeah, maybe I'm being unfair saying it's unearned because you do get a scene of them like hanging out and dancing in her apartment and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there was like a, a little bit of a spark there. Um, and maybe it, this is a commentary on how tying back to that talk radio show we hear in the background. Like maybe she's denying herself affection from right. this guy even though she likes him, and then. She goes on to do violence, but I mean, she would have done the violence anyway. She's seems like she's got no choice in the matter. Did did she do violence? I, I, I like did right. She I don't do even anything? know. I don't. I don't think she actually did. <laughs> I don't think she does anything in this movie. Right? Yeah, she really doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Except play the music. I mean, that's the biggest role in terms of what the witches need her for. The most important thing she did was play the music on the radio to get the. Yeah, women, the daughters of Salem, into that theater. Right, right, right. Exactly. That was like her one action. Yeah. Um, so, and then your other comment about like how you like Rob Zombies, uh, like you think he does villains really well. Did you feel like he did the villains well in this film? I mean, I think that the three witches, the landlord and her two buddies, are probably the strongest characters in the movie, but they're. Um, they don't get enough screen time to be like on anywhere near the level of like um, Baby and Otis and um, yeah. Captain Spaulding. Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't feel like we got nearly enough of them. More I think we got was uh, that Margaret uh, the Witch. Margaret. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, Margaret Morgan or something. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was always like kind of like just these like kind of speeches about like this is going to happen to you, this is going to happen to you, and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't feel like we got enough of, like, a villain figure in this movie. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, maybe you're right. There's, with that being zombie's strength, that we probably needed more of that if if that's yeah. what he can do in terms of characters. And he said, like, as a kid, he was always rooting for the monsters, so that's kind of who he identifies with and, like, wants to make the movie about, but it didn't really work in this one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I think then, his, one of his strongest characterizations is actually Michael Myers in Halloween. Oh yeah. I mean, compared to this, yeah, that that's like a a whole nother level. That was yeah, that was actually for sure. Comprehensive. This yeah, this felt kind of half baked at some points. 
One thing I think he's usually good at too is dialogue, but uh, the dialogue in this, it, this is maybe his weakest dialogue. <laughs> I know. You know, I, I went back and I just, uh, you ever just like read the script of a movie? Uh, every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I did that for this, and it just uh, it was it wasn't it wasn't a good idea. It's just <laughs> there, isn't, there isn't a lot of dialogue, and what's there isn't like very revealing or telling or like additive to the story. It's uh, it's just yeah, the, the dialogue here didn't stand out at all. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, but highlights of the film for me, I thought the score was really good. The, the whole soundscape of the movie, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a good choice. And the production design and the horror imagery, especially the last time she walks into apartment five and it's like this whole palace. Mm-hmm. That looked yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I yeah, I, visually like the set designs and everything. I, I think he, he he did an amazing job there. Even like some of those like pick, uh, scenes of like the demons, even though like some of them were random, uh, it was still like kind of sticks with you and kind of kind of creepy. So yeah, I agree. And, and you're right, the music was pretty cool. Would you would you say the story like looking beyond the execution of it uh, as a story of like a woman receiving a vinyl uh, that like converts people and it's like all about kind of like a witch's revenge on a town? Uh, would you say that's a cool story? I think it's a cool premise. Do you? Yeah, I think I think so too. Because it it kind of like one ups uh, Rosemary's Baby, which I, I thought this was like kind of a direct copy of at some points. But then I think bringing in that witch's angle and then uh, showing it as like yeah, this like plot to like target this guy who like condemned them so many generations ago and like kill all these townspeople and and bring uh, Satan back. I, I thought that was kind of a cool twist on that. It really is a lot like Rosemary's Baby, even down to like the people living in her building, like, right, setting all this up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that is very Rosemary's Baby. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the the story itself, it, the bones are really good. Like, right. that is one thing that makes me curious about the novel- novelization because I do think there's a good story here. It just wasn't told well. Right. Right. Do you think it would have been stronger if we didn't have uh, those timeline jumps? Like, did we need to see the witches uh, and and their stuff? Or like, because I feel like Rosemary's Baby, what makes it so good is like the mystery behind all of it and like the unexplainedness of it sometimes. Yeah, you know, it may have been a better movie had we not started things off with the the witches. Although then the Hawthorne reveal is maybe... Yeah. a little weaker but I mean it wasn't that strong of a reveal in the first place yeah it didn't do that much anyway yeah interesting I, I wouldn't mind seeing that yeah um, do you feel like this is a like a logical conclusion based on the ideas of his we've seen in his previous films or did this feel kind of out of the blue and not on on pace with his other stuff Oh, I yeah, I I didn't think this was recognizable. I mean, uh, the only part I recognize is that I didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, consistent. harsh. <laughs> yeah, no. but uh, otherwise, no. I I feel like this was a big departure from like his last four films. What, what did you think? I mean, I think you can see pieces of his filmmaking in all these. Like, um, you know, House of a Thor- Thousand Corpses, for better or worse, has a whole lot of horror imagery kind of just thrown in, like random like it's almost like a slideshow of just weird horror yeah. imagery um yeah. that doesn't always make sense or serve the story so you see some of that here yeah. um that's true. villains being the most intriguing fleshed out characters from devil's rejects you see that a little bit here with the landlords mm-hmm. um fooling you with these extended dream sequences like in halloween 2 so like i see bits and pieces of what he did in other movies here mm-hmm. um so I disagree with you a little bit on that one, but it also feels kind of like a bland and neutered version of some of his stuff. Like, yeah, even though like it's maybe weird to call a movie that features a bunch of red boners being masturbated, <laughs> it's to call that a neutered or bland movie is is odd. But it's it doesn't have like the brutality of some of his other movies, right? Or right. like the the balls kind of of some other his movies sure like i I mean i feel like in his other movies you saw a lot of uh brutal things happening in real time like in real life and in this one a lot of it was like uh i I wouldn't say like imagined but um 
what like happening on like a different level or something or like uh you're not seeing like innocent people like just being slaughtered like on screen and stuff like that yeah we really don't see much violence right yeah 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 it's a different kind of violence i guess uh yeah and almost and you know he got his start directing music videos so Mm -hmm. the collections of the imagery is very music video-esque right exactly yeah that that made a lot of sense seeing that the most like viscerally and personally violence violent thing we see is francis being killed by the the landlords oh yeah how francis oh yeah where he gets like hit (laughs) they like hit him in the head repeatedly with a pot yeah yeah Yeah. but even even that like uh they don't really zoom in on that do they 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 kind of like show like the the pot going up and down but you don't like see like a bloodied face or anything right you do see a bit of a bloody face but the the, compared to the brutality in some of his other movies it's nothing Ah, okay, okay. I'll have to go if I can see that. Yeah. Um, do you think Sherry Moon bears any of the responsibility for you not liking Heidi, or is it just <laughs> the way the character is written? Uh, no, I, I think it's definitely the way the character is written. Uh, yeah, I want to pull Sherry Moon and, and the whole dreadlock thing out of it. Uh, I just don't think this was like a strong character. They could have given her a lot more time. It would have been so cool if they focused on the angle of like her um, or built up her character more as like someone who's like a little bit removed from uh, you know life. She's a recovering drug addict. Like maybe played into that a little bit more and like how much uh, of a struggle that part is and and like how um, that was like the only thing she could go to. I, I just feel like. The, the story never, like, kind of gave her the time uh, to give us, like, room to buy into her. So I, I think it's more like that the writing that, that kind of shit on her character. What do, what do you think? I agree. I, I think Sherry Moon actually did a decent job. Like, I think she gave a pretty good performance here. It was just the character stunk. You know, I think what we, like you proposed, in a version of the movie where you drop that flashback scene from the witches back in the day from the beginning of the film you could drop that and you could have her start to get curious and research her own bloodline maybe she's got some estranged family and she has to go back and start asking questions or something like let her take that action instead of some random guy they interview on the show like I liked that character (laughs) but there's no reason to take actions that Heidi could be taking away from her and put them into some character we don't even need in the movie like I know uh, that's just such a missed opportunity because we see Heidi do so little yeah. and like I get the approach that she's kind of in a trance when she's seeing this stuff but what it leads to is a character that never takes action and then never to take never reacts like exactly there's plenty of characters in horror uh, unfortunately female characters a lot of the time who don't take explicit like action but they react, and we learn a lot about who they are through their reactions, but we don't even get to see that from Heidi. We don't see her reactions. I know, I know. How crazy is that? Yeah, the main it's, it's a bummer. React. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, that would have been so cool if that was her uh, digging into it, because that guy, like, he was so random. He meets her once, and then, uh, yeah, he just kind of, like, it's like a tangential story almost, uh, and their paths, like, never really intersect again. So, uh, so, so such a weird way to, like, go down that rabbit hole. It is. It is. It's a. It's a weird choice. Yeah. He. Yeah. He's not a good storyteller. It's just. No. <laughs> he really isn't. I think he's cool. At, he's got to like bring together like cool scenes and great set designs and stuff. But uh, when it comes to, like doing like A to B, like a, a story that is is comprehensive, uh, I, I still don't think. Uh, well, I, you didn't feel that way about his other films. You felt like those are more comprehensive stories. I don't think House of a Thousand Corpses is a good story. I think Devil's Rejects is a cohesive story. Yeah, I think Halloween is his best story, and Halloween Two just sucked all around, in my opinion. <laughs> Was that the one with the horse? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I. It's not that he. It seems like he. All the pieces are there. It's almost like he just chooses not to do it. I know. I know. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it's like creative freedom, you know, and thinking he can do uh, whatever he wants and people are going to buy into it, which I've heard some people say, like, this is, like, his best film and Sherry's, like, amazing performance, which I, I'm struggling to call, like, what she did here, a performance. It was, it was just she was there. Yeah. I I do feel like I think a lot of the people on our Discord were excited for us to tackle this one because I think they like it and then consider it his best one um, wow. and to stand out among his work, but... Yeah. I, I don't feel that way. I, I think it's his weakest. Uh, Halloween 2 was my least favorite so far, but mm-hmm. um, 
if I had to rank all his films we've seen so far, I'd put Halloween at the top, followed by The Devil's Rejects, then A House of a Thousand Corpses, then Halloween, then Lords of Salem, yeah. then Halloween 2. Oh, then Halloween 2. Okay. Yeah. I might take Halloween 2 over this one, gotcha. um, just because of the dreads. <laughs> Dude, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Laurie Strode has dreads at one point in that movie. Oh, in Halloween 2? I... I feel like I might remember that, but it's hard to say. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely look that up. Yeah. All right. uh, I don't know. Just, that was just uh, the combination of the dreads, the glasses, just an interesting look. And, and this was like 2012. So I try to give it the benefit of being like early 2000s and like fashion back then. But 2012 wasn't, it was like less than 10 years ago. Can't remember that being a thing. You you don't go to Whole Foods enough. You'll, you'll see more dreads. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> oh man, I need to get out more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, zero to five, red demon boners. What yes. do you give this movie? <laughs> I was hoping those give me the scale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it pretty much had to be. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I only give it one and a half uh, red demon boners, and I, I thought the only like uh, kind of like good parts were like yeah, the set design, some of those cool scenes. Um, or, you know, interesting enough story and uh, and score was obviously good, but yeah, it just uh, it didn't feel like cohesive, and I thought the acting could have been a lot better, and uh, the, the the characters could have been fleshed out a lot more. Uh, what, what about you? I was between a two and a half and a two. I feel like my viewing experience was a two and a half, but then when it was done and I reflected back on the work as a whole, I felt like more of a two. Mm, yeah. Um, I think I have to go ahead and give it a two. I I. I didn't really like it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that averages to 1.75 red demon boner. So not great, unfortunately. No, no, that's, that's not great. At least you need a whole number there, right? What are you going to do with one, 1.75 of those boners? <laughs> yeah, it's I mean. Gonna be, <laughs> it's going to be awkward. Yeah, there's going to be some boner trauma to get that rating. Did this remind you at all of the time you gave me an Animal Collective CD to listen to? Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the instrumentation, uh, I, I feel like is very like I get that totally sounds like a song Animal Collective would do. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, there's a really good chance you could, if you suggested Animal Collective to somebody, they could put it on and, and feel like they were hearing similar sounds. Yeah. But you you came around on them, right? I think so. I think there was one album I I was able to get behind. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the idea of like giving someone an album and then it uh, it messes them up. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, sounds she hears on that album could fit in nicely on uh, <laughs> Sung Tongs, Tongs or Here Comes the Indian. Yeah, yeah. I'll Here Comes the Indian's even weirder than Sung Tongs. Oh, uh, really? I, I don't know if I've heard that one. I'll have to go back and listen to that. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, I think that's it. Anything else you got on this movie? No, that's all I got. Okay, well... I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not scared off. I, I still intend to watch Thirty One and uh, Dev. What's the what the hell? Three from Hell. Damn. Um, All right. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna keep dragging you through this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll do them on Patreon or something though. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Well, that's it, everybody. If you enjoyed the show, give us five star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you're a big Rob Zombie man and you fan and you love this movie, we apologize. Um, if you want to connect with us, go to horrormovieclub.com. Click on the social links drop down. You'll find links to Facebook and Twitter, and you can follow us there to find out what movie you're, we're going to cover next week. There's also a link for Discord there, and uh, come join us on there. We're talking with people every day, fans, movie fans, horror movie fans, podcast fans. Uh, it's a great community there. We're we really love it so come hang out with us there uh let's see if you want some horror movie swag you can go to etsy.com and search horror movie club coasters uh you'll find a set of five coasters there one of which has our logo and those are done by amy may pop art who does our logo as well she's got tons of great stuff in her etsy shop lots of horror art for you to purchase uh, we got a Patreon, patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. If you want to go there and check out some bonus content, you can also find a couple spreadsheet treats, uh, one of which will show you the ratings for every movie that Ashvin and I have ever discussed together, even if it isn't on the podcast. Um, and until next time, if you're mailed a mysterious record, 
first. Please consider where you're at in your life and if you're at a place where you can handle the responsibility of raising a demonic tentacled baby. If not, <laughs> you'd better keep that record in its sleeve. <laughs> and <laughs> put that red demon boner in your hand instead. Oh, man. <laughs> 